Welcome to the King's Church Amersham podcast. For more information and resources, go to www.kca.church. guys. Thank you. Well, good morning, uh, KCA, and uh, all those that are joining us from other parts and other places. And uh, it's my great privilege this morning to be speaking to you. And uh, if you've been following what we've been up to over the last few weeks in terms of our speaking, then we've been looking at the book of Daniel. And as Laurie pointed out last week, the book of Daniel is now changes, changes from a narrative, if you like, to some prophetic insights that were given to Daniel over the period of some 68 years or so. And I should say right at the beginning, if you thought the first part of the story we've been following was a little bit weird and a little bit odd, well, the next part is, is just on another level. If we look at Daniel's responses to this part, the pictures and the visions that have been given over the next few chapters, we see we see number of reactions from Daniel. We, at chapter 7, verse 15, we see uh, Daniel says he was troubled in his spirit. And in verse 28, he says, I was deeply troubled by my thoughts. In chapter 8, he says, I've tried to understand it. And verse 27, he says, I was worn out, exhausted, appalled. It was beyond my understanding. In verse 9, he says, Daniel, I pleaded with the Lord in preemptition, fasting and sacrifices. Verse 9 says, I mourn for three days. All these reactions to these strange visions and pictures and stories. I wonder what your reaction is. Perhaps you've read some of them before. Perhaps you're just starting to look at them this morning. You've just picked up your Bible and gone, wow, what is all this about? And if we go on to read in chapter 10, verse 7 to 17, and I haven't got time to do that this morning, but if we have a read there, we would get a window on Daniel's experience as God opens up to him, if you like, a, a, like a window or a vision of things that are going on in the spiritual realm. And we see, Daniel sees an angel. Everyone else didn't see the angel, and they fled in terror, it tells us. But Daniel's granted access to see and hear and speak spiritually with an angel. And he gives us a brief glimpse, or Daniel gets a brief glimpse of this spiritual realm and the workings and the battle that's going on. And I guess when we talk about these things and we speak about things, I wonder this morning what your reaction is. I think there are often two schools or two camps, if you like, when we start to enter into this slightly strange things. Some of us, maybe it's disbelief, confusion, or maybe it's fear. Maybe it's misdirection. Maybe there's like a, it becomes very interesting and fascinating and we, we get this real interest in C.S. Lewis in the Screwtape Letters, which is a depiction, if you like, of a spiritual battle going on between the underworld and, and our world, says this. He says, as a tortured fear and stupid confidence are both desirable states of mind i.e. the devil would love us to be either completely absorbed with this or so scared that um, we, get, we, we can't deal with it or actually we just dismiss it as things that are just weird and not really relevant. So this morning, with that in mind and with a, a whole lot of things to, the Bible speaks about on this stuff, I'd like us to actually think about a few things. And over the next two weeks, we're going to, if you like, take a backward step or take a big picture, an overview step, and look at 
what our responses and our reactions are when we, when we come across passages like this, sections of scripture like this, when we talk about spiritual battles, kingdoms and forces. Next week, Julian's going to be talking about prophetic things and prophecies and the way it comes to us and what it means and uh, how we should deal with it and how we should handle these different types of things. But this morning, what I want to do for a few moments is talk about the idea of spiritual battle. A battle with evil, the devil, if you like. Now, I know as soon as I say that, some of you, some of you may be listening and watching today and thinking, at last, at last the preacher is going to talk about the real stuff, the spiritual warfare, strongholds and demons, and this is more like it. Well, I suspect that some of the things I might say will resonate with you and sit with you, but I also suspect that some of the things I might say might challenge you a bit and make you think a little bit. I'm also aware for others of us that you may come from a background where the very, very little is spoken about this subject. And when it comes to these things, the mere mention of this makes you feel a little uncomfortable. And you're thinking, oh no, Paul, do we really have to go there? And what are you going to say today? Well, one of the great joys of a church like ours is that what we do often is we gather a, a range of thinking, a range of theologies and worldviews and ideas, and then we get to line them up against what the Bible says and we hold on to the truth, and we jettison some of the weaknesses. And that's what we're going to try and do this morning, what we're going to try and do in a few minutes this morning. So this morning, in order to do this, we're going to jump forward in Scripture somewhat. And we're going to do that because we have, which Daniel didn't have, the knowledge of Jesus. So we're going to jump right forward. So if you've got your Bibles, you could do that this morning. Jump forward to Ephesians chapter 6. And we're going to read from verse 10. And what we're going to look at in this passage is to see how it, help, how it might help us when we think of the idea of living in a context of spiritual battles, of kingdoms and, and principalities. Now, there's going to be a slight disclaimer this morning, which right at the beginning I'm going to say there, there's a lot to cover in this passage. And there are lots of clever people who slightly disagree about what Paul is teaching here. And uh, it's not a time, I haven't got time to lay all of that out this morning. And there's a lot of here, and people have different views on what the armor of God is and various other things. What I would say this morning is that some of this subject, well, there's a degree of mystery about it. And what I'm going to try and do and teach us today is look at what the Bible says, what the Bible does teach, rather than what the Bible doesn't say when it comes to the idea of spiritual battles. Sometimes I think people get in struggles with this area because they try and teach and focus on things that the Bible doesn't actually explicitly say. So let's look at the Bible, what the Bible does say. To us as Christians in our context, with the full work of Jesus fully in focus. So we're going to read from verse 10, Ephesians 6. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's devices. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of the evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you've done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to this, take up the shield of faith 
for which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil will. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit and the word of God and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me. For whenever I speak, words may be given to me so that I may fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I'm an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Well, the first thing we need to notice about this passage is basically that it's at the end of Paul's letter. In his letter to the church, he's closing his communication, if you like, to the church with this letter. It's like the closing statement that you would say if you were saying goodbye to somebody, you were completing a communication with somebody. And often when we do that, we say things that are, if you like, a really important thing. We might say, now don't forget. Now we say, maybe remember this. I know on the way, maybe out of the door, as you're sending the kids off to school, they might say certain things to your kids, the important things you don't want to forget. Don't forget, I love you. Be safe. Take care. I'll see you then. There are also other things I'm sure we say, like, have you forgotten your pee kit or where's your coat and have you packed your lunch and don't mix with those boys. I think those are the things that we used to say to our kids. But anyway, but Paul signs off his letter with something he feels is urgent and important. He wants them to remember and he says, listen up. Remember, don't forget this. He says, don't forget this. What? He says, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. How do we do that? We put on the armor of God. Why do we do that? So that we can stand against the devil's schemes. And because, because he says, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So this morning I want to take these things in reverse order. Paul says, be aware, you are in a battle. There's an opposition that comes and is coming to you. Now, like I've already said, some of us are very aware of this. Some of us are perhaps too aware. And some of us maybe are not aware of. So when it comes to the issue, then the truth is probably somewhere in the middle in terms of all the different views. Somewhere in the middle. Again, C.S. Lewis, and we may hear him a couple of times this morning, helpfully quotes in the screen, and I think this is super helpful. There are two equal and opposite errors in which we can face or fall into about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence, the other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves, the devils that is, are equally pleased by both. So I want to suggest to you that if you think a demon or a devil is behind every issue in your life, well, there's a problem with that because I don't think that's real. And some of that stuff is just down to bad choices and bad behavior. But equally, if you dismiss the devil as just myth and favor, well, there's a problem with that as well. The Bible is very clear. The devil is real. Demonic, demonic powers are real. Jesus describes the devil himself in John 12. He says that he's the prince of the world. And Paul, at the beginning of his letter, talks about the ruler of the kingdom, kingdoms of the air. And Peter writes to the church, and he says, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And Jesus, if we read the Gospels, encounters Satan as he ministers to people, and often there's a confrontation. 
And often with demonic powers, we see Jesus tell them to go. And we see this again and again in Mark 1. It's a good example of it. Verse 27 says, The people were so amazed. The new teaching and the new authority even gives orders to impure spirits. And they obey him and he tells them to leave and they go. And Jesus, again and again in the Gospels, preaches the kingdom of God is near. In other words, the rule and the reign of God's kingdom is coming to earth in a new way. And he announces it and he heralds it. And he, he also he inaugurates it himself. He's the embodiment of it. And he's the reason the kingdom of God is coming in this new way. And as the kingdom of God comes and if people submit to this kingdom, that's what happens when you become a Christian. You submit to this kingdom, people get free and demons go and flee. And you see this through the life of ministry of Jesus. You see it in the early church. When the kingdom of God comes, freedom comes. And so Paul is saying this, first of all, he says, when, when it comes to your life, be aware. There is a battle, and you will face real opposition. And the first thing he says is this. He says, I want you to be aware so that you can stand and stand firm. You can take your stand against the devil's schemes. That's his words. Paul says, this is your move, if you like. This is your tactic when you hit opposition. When you sense you're in a battle and you have to decide whether it's a battle with evil, if you like, or not just a bad mood or a wrong decision. But when you think it's this situation, then here is your decision. Here's, here's your move, if you like. And I think this is really important for us to understand, to grasp, because when a lot of people talk about spiritual warfare or battles, they tend to say that our job as Christians, if you like, is to take ground aggressively against demonic forces, and this will involve in praying in certain ways, using certain language to break demonic powers over maybe areas or places. Um, this is our move. We sort of operate in an offensive way. And clearly we should defiantly pray. Paul himself in verse 18 says, at all times pray, pray in the Spirit. But I want you to see that, biblically speaking, when it comes to facing opposition ourselves, demonic opposition, evil opposition, when it comes to enduring that, the emphasis the Bible gives us is literally to stand and stand firm. Now that does not mean we're not into advancement. We're absolutely into advancement. It does not mean that we want, don't want to take ground. We absolutely do want to take ground. But the way we are told to take ground in the scripture is very simple really in one sense. It's by preaching the kingdom of God. We have to preach the gospel, see people saved, baptize them, disciple them, build the church, reach the lost. And as we do that, and as we pray, what Jesus told us to pray, which is, thy kingdom come, as we do that, people get free and demons go. That's the way we see advancement. But when we personally feel that we are hitting opposition ourselves, I suggest the language, the narrative of the scriptures is that we need to stand. 1 Peter 5, 8 to 9. Be alert and of sober mind. The enemy prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, stand firm in the faith. Resist and stand. James 7, submit yourself then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee. Resist and stand. 
standing and submitting to God, resisting. That's the language of the New Testament. This is how, this is how you and I are to operate. And this is what Paul is writing to the church and saying, look, there is a battle. And I want you to be aware, but your job is, your job is to stand. Now, I think a lot of us would struggle with that. Well, we do struggle with that, with the idea of standing, because we actually we want to attack. It all seems too passive, too defensive. And I think it's often because, well, there are many reasons, but one of the main reasons is we misunderstand or even forget sometimes the full extent of the victory that is actually already won by Jesus. It's already won on the cross, and how utterly defeated Satan actually is. If we jump to Colossians 2, there's a really famous passage about this stuff. Colossians 2, 13 to 15. When you were dead in your sins, in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive in Christ. He forgave us all our sins. Having cancelled the charge of the legal indebtedness which stood against us and condemned us, he has taken it away and nailed it to the cross. And having disarmed, disarmed the principalities and powers, authorities who made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them on the cross. And what this is teaching us is that the cross, when Jesus died and rose again, we know that not only stood against us, our sin, our shame, our guilt has been defeated. We are not guilty anymore. But also in the cross, death, the evil, evil powers, that has also been defeated. Colossians 2 says the victory is so complete over evil powers, so final, that they're now being made a public spectacle of. And the picture is one of a, if you like, a captured king or a defeated army who have now been defeated and humiliated. And they've been, they've been paraded through a city in like, what's well, like a victory parade. The city is the one of the victorious king. And God say, this is, this is what's happened on the cross. This is how defeated the enemy is. We look at Matthew 12. It's a really important passage on how we, comes when we deliver. We deal with this, this idea of spiritual battle. Jesus has just healed a blind and a mute man who's said to be demon-possessed. And he's, he's to set him free. And the Pharisees have come and they are very unhappy about it, about the happy that he's done this. And they've accused him of doing it by the power of the devil. And Jesus answers them and says, well, that's just ridiculous. That's just a stupid argument. But then he says this, it is by the Spirit of God that I drive out demons. And the Spirit of God has come upon you. Or again, how can anyone enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man and then he plunders his house. Now, sometimes people have read this passage and thought in a way that Jesus is kind of teaching us some, some technique or some strategy for how to fight spiritual battles and how to deal with demonic oppression. And they would teach, therefore, that we have to, when we pray, we have to bind the strong man and the, the demonic power in that area. But I don't, think, I don't think that's what Jesus is talking about here. He's not teaching a technique. Rather, he's illustrating a truth, a truth that Colossians talks about. It's a truth that we can stand on. And it's about what he's going to do with his life. His resistance to Satan in the wilderness, his death and his resurrection on the cross, his perfect sacrifice. Jesus is winning a victory. He's offensively taken ground and he's completed the victory. And Jesus is and has bound the strong man. Satan, Satan is done for. 
once and for all time. In other words, Jesus is not talking about a technique for prayer. He's talking or declaring a truth that we stand on as we pray. He has bound the strong man. And that is the backdrop to every battle, every situation you and I face. That's the context, that's the reality. It's already won. This is really good news. I was trying to think of an illustration to maybe help us understand this. And I remember something, I think, I can't remember if it was Terry Virgo or Phil Varley said one a while ago, but an illustration of this, that he was walking along the road one day, and um, as he walked, he had to go around this bend. But what he did notice was there was an extremely scary dog standing on the corner. And the dog was barking and showing his teeth. And so rather than walk past, he stopped and he held his ground. And he's like, what, what do I do? How do I get past? And then he noticed one thing. He noticed that the dog actually was actually chained to the wall. And it was actually just behind a gate. And therefore, having known in the knowledge of that, he was able to walk past and continue on his journey. And I think that's a really helpful illustration for us as we think about the battle we have, the road that we take, the journey that we're on with regards to the enemy and his powers over us. Of course, if you'd have gone in and gone right up to it, then of course it might be able to get to you. But actually he's been chained, he's been bound, he's been held back. And therefore he cannot and will not bite, if you like, unless we let him. That's why our job is to stand. Ephesians 6 says we stand by being strengthened in the Lord. Perhaps you can feel that now as we start to speak the truth about victory. We can feel strength coming possibly. It's what it means to be strengthened in the Lord. And in particular, Paul says, I want you to be strengthened in the Lord by putting on the armor of God. So what is the armor of God? Well, it's effectively this. It's effectively the spoils of Jesus' victory. You don't have to take ground. He's already done that for you. But you need to step into what he has got for you. And you need to avail yourself, if you like. You need to put on the truth of these things that he says as true and not the lies of Satan. And I think there's a lot here in Ephesians 6 of this is what's teaching us about truth. So let me give you a quick overview, and it is quick. I've only got a limited time this morning. Of the things I think Paul is means is when he talks about the armor of God. And this is not definitive by any means, but this is something I think is helpful. Stand firm, then, Paul says, the belt of truth buckled around your waist. You know, we sin often because we don't believe that God is telling us the truth. That's why Adam sinned. Adam sinned because Satan sinned. Did God really say that to you? You really got your best interests at heart? You know, he's keeping the good stuff from you. Satan is described as the father of lies, the accuser of brothers. And pretty much behind pretty much every sin, there is a lie. Often the demonic attack doesn't look like heads spinning round and all those things we see in horror movies or whatever, if you choose to watch those things. Satan's primary tactics is to put things in our heads Ways of thinking that are actually opposite to how the Bible sees us or the Bible talks about how we should see ourselves. And sometimes through pain and hurt in history, we've become to believe these lies that are actually, they're, they're part of us. And we believe these lies about who he is and 
the things have become ingrained in us and they become strongholds and they literally stop us from freely walking into what Jesus has for us. And God says, no, you need to wear the truth about you. And the truth is, I love you, that Jesus has come for you and the lies of the enemy are no longer hold any sway over your life. And then he says, put on the breastplate of righteousness. Put on this truth that you have been made good. You're not guilty or condemned or faulty. God has made you righteous. When the enemy comes, the accuser says, you know what, you're not good enough, you're not worthy enough, you're not nice enough, you shouldn't be here, you're not, you're not the right person. You can say, yep, yeah, you know, you're right, but I know one who is. And he has made me righteous. There's been an exchange on the cross. My sin, my sin has been taken by him who had no sin. And I've been made righteous. I can wear this. I'm going to own this. Says Paul says, put it on. Wear, wear. Don't let the accusation, don't wear the accusations of the enemy. Don't wear it. Wear righteousness is like a t-shirt, if you like. I've been made righteous. No accusations can stand. And then you can stand your ground. And be at peace. Ephesians 2 talks a lot about peace. Actually, a lot of Ephesians 6 is a kind of summary of the previous chapters. But the idea is here is you don't have to be troubled by the accusations of the enemy. We don't have to run around in fear or try to do something. We can be at peace. God himself has done it all for us. Paul says, take up the shield of faith. Believing in Jesus In John chapter 6, Jesus is asked, what can we do? What are the things we need to do for God? Tell us what we need to do. The crowd comes and asks him that question. And he says this. It's really simple. Believe in me. So we do that. Jesus, I believe who you are. And I believe the things you say about me. I believe in what you've done. I don't have to try and earn. I believe I don't have to believe, I don't have to do things to accomplish this. I believe it's all been done by you. And then we take on the helmet of salvation. In other words, we remember that we are saved. Whatever else happens right now, whatever else happens, you are saved. In the midst of hard things, of difficult things, you don't need to despair. You are saved. You are safe. And you can stand because he has saved you. Jesus has done that. Jesus has done that. And we we acknowledge that. We place that on ourselves. And then finally he says, take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Take up the word of God, the sword of the Spirit. Hold on to it. Jesus says in John 8, believe the truth. And the truth will so to be it. Hold on to it. Now, I know a lot of you would have heard this stuff before. And somehow often it gets parked somewhere in the back of our minds. Or gets put, yeah, I know this stuff, I already had it. And what we need to do is, I think often, is just to pick this stuff up again. Hold it in our hands. Grasp it again. Look at it again. Perhaps today in our hands aren't the truths of Christ. Perhaps actually what we're holding on at the moment is some of the lies of the enemy. 
the word of God, the narrative of Scripture, says Jesus has accomplished it all. And to close with, Paul says to pray in the Spirit on all occasions, with all kinds of prayers, all kinds of requests. Be alert. And keep praying for God's people. I wonder where you are today. I wonder how these things that I've spoken about today find you. In a struggle, in a battle, challenged by difficulties. For a few moments this morning, I just want us to pray. Tom, you can just come up and just give me some, some notes. And we're just going, to, just going to reflect a few moments on some of these ideas and hold on to them afresh. So let's pray. Father, want to hold on to some of this truth this morning. However we feel in whatever battles we're facing, Lord, your call is for us to stand and, Father, we want to be able to stand. But to do that, we have to acknowledge, we have to own, we have to wear this armor that you've laid out before us. So Lord, I'd ask by your Holy Spirit today that you would speak truth into hearts and minds as we, as we wait on you. Father, we'd fasten the, the belt of truth that wherever lies the enemy is speaking over us now. We see them for what they are. And we fasten around ourselves the truth of how you see us. How you love us. How you've died for us. How you've called us by name. How you've chosen us. How you know all things about us and yet you still, you still Acknowledge us as sons and daughters. And Father, all the things that, that, that we feel accused about, all the things that we maybe, maybe think disqualify us, Father, we want to cast those off today. Lord, would you speak to us today afresh? Would we know how much you love us and what you have done, that you have made us clean, that those things no longer stand against us through what Christ has accomplished on the cross. And you look at us in a different way to how the enemy says we, you look at us. Or how we may look at ourselves. Father, however we're struggling today with the truth about what you've done, about how you see us, would that, Lord, break into our struggles today and would your peace 
Let your peace, God, reign. In homes this morning, would your peace reign. Father, give us faith today. Strengthen our limbs. Strengthen our hearts today. Strengthen our minds today. Lord, we know that we're saved. Called, chosen, set apart. Saved this week. Thank you, Lord. And Lord, would you place place in our hands by your spirit would you place in your hands by your spirit the truth may the things that we carry fall away today Lord of the enemy fall away today, Lord. In Jesus' name, Lord. Father, we thank you for what you've accomplished on our behalf on the cross. Thank you, Father, we no longer need to live in fear or in condemnation because we are secure in you we are safe in you there is a perfect plan and we are part of that plan thank you God thank you God thank you for listening For further podcasts or information, go to www.kca.church.